This is Teachers Talk Radio. You are listening live. Well, good morning, everyone. We are here on the 8th of September. 8th of September. And I cannot believe the sun is out here in England today. The sun is shining. What a great week of weather we have had here in the UK this week. Just in time for all our teachers to have lots of hot children back in their classrooms but we have almost made it to the weekend so if you're listening live happy friday if you're listening back i hope that you had a good friday and very excited today because we have got a very special guest coming to talk to us today called dean barber i'll get dean to introduce himself more fully when he joins us um but we are going to be talking all about what it's like to be a teacher who is LGBTQ+. So really excited to hear what Dean has to say, to hear about Dean's lived experiences. Oh, and Dean's just arrived in the studio, which is great. Um, So without further ado, good morning, Dean. And drum roll. Good morning, Dean. Can you hear me? Yay! (laughs) Loud and clear. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Really good. You know, always a sigh of relief when our guests make it into the studio with <laughs> with no stress. So gold star for you, Dean, today. I'm very happy. I was a bit nervous. I think I was muted there to begin with, but <laughs> I did it. I worked it out. Perfect. Right on time. How's your week okay. been? It's been good, thank you. Yeah, really good. Um, bit hot. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to keep the dog nice and cool. Oh, tell um, for any of our listeners, tell us about your dog. We love dogs. Oh, Cody. The love of my life. <laughs> my, oh, Cody. What my little is best he friend. He's a Cavalier King Charles. He is next to me right now because as soon as I pick up the phone, he has to be involved. Um, so he's next to me wagging his tail. He had a nice groom to try and keep him cool, get some of that hair off. Oh, um, oh because he's been finding it too hot as well. Yeah, I've been taking him out for, for nice long walks at about six o'clock in the morning. And then he's just been sleeping the rest of the days, really. Um, oh. A little bit too hot for him because he's got quite a furry coat. Um, but yeah, he's great. He's all good. I'm just hoping that he stays nice and quiet while I'm talking because <laughs> there was a time when I used to go on Teams and he would just bark and interrupt constantly. As you know, you've seen him on meetings before. Uh, and do you know what? I think he's got good things to say though. So, you know, let's not censor <laughs> uh, Cody if he wants to join in today. He is welcome. And I must say, Dean, you're a very dedicated dad doing 6 a.m. walks with him. I know. Well, if I didn't, he would be bothering me all day. He doesn't understand that he walking in the heat will um, not be good for him. So, yeah, have to get up early. So it's getting me back in back into practice. You know, back lecturing in next week and the week after. So I need to get used to those early starts again. <laughs> Great. Okay, so actually, let, let's jump in with that. So for any of our listeners, uh, we're talking to Dean Barber today. So Dean, you're talking about lecturing. Can you maybe tell us like how your career journey went, how it started out and kind of then where you are at today at this point? Yeah, so I did my undergraduate in something completely different um, quite a while ago. Uh, 15 years ago, actually, I started my undergraduate in criminology at Kent University. And then At the time when I was doing my undergraduate was the recession. So there weren't any jobs when I was graduating. I didn't really know what to do. And then I kind of thought, oh, perhaps actually I might like to go into teaching. So I spent Mm -hmm. a couple of years as support staff at a school in Manor Park. um, And then 
kind of observed teachers there, did a bit of teaching myself, really thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. So mm-hmm. I went and did my PGCE at the University of East London. And then, yeah, from there was an NQT at a school in uh, Haverham for five years, then worked at another school for a few years. Um, and as you know, in primary schools, the longer you're there, the more hats you wear. So mm-hmm. I was year group leader, phase leader, English lead for a long time. Wow. Tra- trained to be the senior mental health lead, LGBTQ inclusion. I was assessment lead for a while. I've just uh, probably, you name it, I've done it. Wow, um, fantastic. <laughs> Gosh, oh, this is this is good. So listeners, if you're listening live, any questions for Dean, get in the chat about literally any topic <laughs> to do with primary teaching. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then... Last year just kind of felt like I knew that I never wanted to go and be deputy head or a head teacher. That's and interesting. And so by that point, I had kind of, I felt like I'd reached my peak in primary schools and it freaked me out a bit because at the time I was only 32 and I was like, Ooh, I've done so much. Mm-hmm, I don't really mm-hmm. know where to go from here. I don't want to go any further up the chain. And then, yeah, saw the role at Anglia Ruskin University for Senior Lecturer Practitioner. Thought, why not? Let's give it a go. And the rest is history. That's that's where I am now. And we're so glad you did. We're so glad you did. So those those trusty listeners will know that I also work at ARU with Dean. So really excited to welcome a colleague. But I have to ask you, if you don't mind, Dean, it sounds like you say, you know, you've done everything. You're at your peak. Why didn't you want, I mean, yeah, the, the next step would be surely like deputy head, assistant principal head. Like mm. why, why was that not for you? Because it sounds like you were a great leader. Do you know what? I, I think I realised actually towards the end of my time in primary schools that leadership, I just wasn't enjoying it as much as being in the classroom. And I mm-hmm. felt like the further up I was going, the less time I was spending teaching the children. Mm-hmm. And to go even further up, I just knew that time was going to be cut even shorter so I just, it just wasn't really me. I felt like if you become a head teacher, it's more like managing a business these days rather than actually to do with necessarily the education side of things. And so mm-hmm. it just wasn't for me. I got into teaching to teach and I felt like if I went any higher up, maybe I would be doing even less of that. So, yeah. Wow, that, that makes sense. And I love that. I love that. And I think for anyone listening who's, you know, looking for a change and you know hopefully today you'll shine some light on how getting into being a a senior lecturer practitioner is is another way to stay in education but in a different a different way so the first thing I have to ask you Dean what is it teaching adults compared to when you're teaching the primary school have you noticed a big difference or no (laughs) (laughs) no tell us tell us more about kind of your your first year so you've just finished your first year you're just starting your second year Uh, yeah 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 absolutely yeah so I well I started in January so I'm yeah I'm going into the new trimester it's the uh, new academic year I'm starting with so it's the first time I'm going to do a full academic year at Anglia Ruskin hopefully so yeah but it's not I think the thing is even when you're teaching adults it's similar to teaching children because everything is a new concept to them so you're still it's not like they know the content that you're teaching them you're still teaching Mm -hmm. them something new um and I guess the only difference is that they can, they're adults, so they're far more independent. They, you know, don't wet themselves, hopefully. <laughs> and... that's, always, that's always a good day when... Absolutely. 
<laughs> um, but actually, teaching-wise, I, I thought it would be a lot different, but it's, it's generally not. A lot of the practices are very transferable. So a lot of the AFL techniques, um, a lot of, you know, just the general teaching is teaching at the end of the day. And I don't know what mm -hmm. I was expecting, but I was expecting it to be different. But it's, it's really, it's, the actual teaching is not very different at all, really. Mm -hmm. No, I would, I would agree with you. And I think, yeah, the whole the whole actual structure is different. I mean, for me, it was a relief not having to have my weekly plans on the shared drive, you know, mm. for the head of the, the director of education or whoever was in my school, mm. they just had to check my plans every week. And just very different here because you've got to have your stuff on the, the virtual learning environment for your students to check every week. So it's mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, you're doing stuff for the students now rather than I, I guess sometimes I thought in primary school I was doing it for management. I don't know yeah. if you ever felt that way. Yeah, totally. I would say everything at the university is student driven. Yeah. It's very clear that everything that we do is for the students, where I do think in, in schools, or particularly primary schools, a lot of it is ticking boxes, either for, as you say, like management or just doing it for the sake of it. I found myself, again, towards the end of my time in primary schools, I found myself questioning to do something a lot more often than than I had done previously whereas since working at the university I don't think I've questioned why I'm doing anything it's very clear wow. that there's a purpose to it and a, a an obvious purpose that's going to benefit the students and their outcomes so yeah which wow. I, I think that's a difficulty that a lot of people find in primary schools I can only talk in primary schools I don't really know secondary or further education but I think a lot of teachers do find that difficult that especially where time is so precious, a lot of time is wasted by carrying out things that just don't really serve a purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. Yeah, you often found you were, you know, things like for one of my biggest bugbears, I don't know if you had this in your schools, Dean, was um, like next steps marking. And sorry if anyone listening loves next steps marking, but we were, we were told, you know, you have to do at the end of each piece of work, you had to draw some steps and you had to do at least three steps and, and I knew the children were just going to come in the next day and be ready for the next lesson mm. and it just it just felt like why am I wasting hours like my whole evening doing these next steps marking whereas at uni I mean actually kind of similar you put a grade on their essay and some feedback I know most of them look at the grade any of my students listening I know you mostly look at the grade because that's what I did <laughs> that's what I do but um yeah I think I think you're right Dean that's really nice to hear that you found that as well that mm. we are very student-led and I think that's that's what makes higher education so exciting although they are also our like best critics, you know, if they're like, oh, part of the sound on the video of your lecture video wasn't working or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if they don't absolutely. like the articles we share, they're very good. Oh, they'll us tell us. They will, they will keep us on our toes. Absolutely. Yeah. But I love that. And they should do that. They, they should have that kind of power over, over their learning. And I think exactly. it's, it's, it's a good sign. And at least we know they're looking at the content that we're spending time preparing. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's true. I love when they spot a mistake on something, and I go, "Oh, I'm glad you spotted my intentional mistake on your yeah. uh, on your module." <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, amazing, right? So, oh my gosh, I can't believe we've been chatting ten minutes already. I'm loving talking to you, Dean. So, um, the topic for today's theme, though, and th and this is such a, a great one for you to bring to the table for us, is about what it's like to be an LGBTQ plus practitioner. So, thank you so much for coming and you know being able to share your story with us. Um, so if it's okay, over the next kind of 50 minutes, I've got just a few areas that I'd like to ask you about, if that's okay, Dean. Yeah, totally. Go Brilliant. So I thought the first thing that we'd start with is maybe if you're happy to talk about kind of overcoming the trauma 
of your own school experiences was you know how how was it for you as a child going through school mm-hmm. yeah totally um so obviously everything we're going to talk about is from my experience that everyone within the community <laughs> will have oh Oh, my, my dog ruined it first. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I'd just like to say that is not Cody. That is Poppy's dog there. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to mute while you tell us. I'm so okay. sorry about that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, so I think everything that I talk about is obviously from my experience. So everyone within the community will have a different experience. But I think it's really important just to start with by recognising Section 28, um, which impacted schools right from the Tory government in the 80s through the 90s to the early 2000s, which was my peak time at primary school. I started primary school, I think, in 1993, and I left secondary school in 2006. So pretty much my entire school experience was under this Section 28 brought in by Margaret Thatcher, which, Mm -hmm. um, you know, she famously said that children who need to be taught to respect traditional moral values are being taught that they have the inalienable right to be gay and that those children are being cheated of a sound start in life. Mm -hmm. And so Section 28 basically uh, uh, restricted local authorities from promoting homosexuality or publishing material and that meant that books were removed from libraries and obviously it created this culture where in schools teachers didn't feel like they could even acknowledge homosexuality so obviously that has an implication because as a child growing up these feelings that you're not sure about and you're trying to explore what that means if you don't hear stories of people like that or those conversations aren't even there or you know I'd have teachers that would talk about their husband or their wife heterosexual teachers but I never heard a teacher talk about their same-sex partner wow um so for me those role models just didn't exist so it's it's such a confusing time anyway and then when you feel like you are isolated in that and there's no one else out there who feels the same it has a massive impact on you of course I can't imagine and, yeah. and this was only the 80s, you say. This was only the 1980s. That's so recent, really. In it, like Exactly. It was, brought, it, it was brought in, the legislation was brought in in 1988. And it was, I think, revoked in Scotland in 2001 and the rest of the UK in 2003. So, wow. So only 20 years ago. Yeah. And, wow. And then you have to think about the impact that that has. If it's not spoken about in schools or if you're not allowed to promote it, that kind of there's that feeling that bullying of children who are part of the community is okay and harassing them and name calling teachers would be scared to get involved in that and to stop that from happening because it was so ambiguous that I think a lot of practitioners didn't know what it meant to promote it Mm -hmm. so it just wasn't spoken about because if you talk about people within the community existing could that be seen as promoting it and are you then going to get pulled into the head teacher's office or whatever and get reprimanded for it so I just think there was a lot of tiptoeing around it and it just it just it was like we didn't exist so as a child that has a massive impact on you growing up I mean I just couldn't yeah it was yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, just, you know, just, just so sorry to, you know, that was your experience. And it, I'm sure so many people listening that will be able to relate to, to that feeling. And it, the mind just boggles really that, you know, the, this section 28 was so recent and, you know, you know, in you, in your, in your early thirties have, have been so, 
majorly affected by it. So I wondered if, Dini, you may be happy now to, to talk about then how did that feel for you then maybe coming out to staff or coming out to children? I don't know if that if that's something you've done comfortably, if you're happy to share that with us. Yeah, I think it's so crazy that I'm here having this conversation today because at the start of my teaching career, I would never have even dreamed of it, really. Um, wow, that's yeah, crazy. And you said that's like 15... 15 years ago I qualified as a teacher 10 years ago so it's not wow. really that long I know yeah it's it's mad um so tell, right. tell us what happened tell us a bit about that journey then how, how it's changed and now you're on like national radio you know the biggest <laughs> teachers radio <laughs> what's I know. changed it's, tell it's us <laughs> I think so I I came out relatively late in comparison to others I came out to my parents when I was 21 and then I think I came out to the rest of my family it was my NQT year, so in 2014. Um, but that NQT year was really pivotal. It was really interesting because thinking about Section 28 and the legacy that it's left, you have to think that there are two different experiences when it comes to teachers. You have teachers who were teaching throughout Section 28 and therefore their teaching ethos and values have been shaped by legislation like that, whether it's their personal opinion or not. The majority of their career, by the time I had started teaching, had been teaching under Section 28. So they were very much, they weren't used to talking about us existing. And then you have people like myself coming into the profession who had been taught under Section 28. So all of us had been affected by that piece of legislation. And even though it had been revoked, it still today having um, an impact and having to be overcome. So when I started teaching, it was still a very odd time and there were still comments that were made to me by certain older staff members when I was <laughs> my NQT year that just made me feel like I can never come out um, wow. like, yeah I had comments made to me like uh, about the way I was standing or it's just really silly little things like that just were triggers from my childhood wow and these, just... these were generally older staff would you find yeah or? yeah they were they were the staff who were closer to retirement Mm-hmm. Um, at that time so I was in my early 20s and they were probably in their like mid to late 50s or early 60s um, so obviously they had they had taught all the way through section 28 and I don't I'm not for a second saying that they were homophobic but I do think they had certain values or didn't have that mm-hmm. knowledge or education of how to I don't know talk to people like they're a human I don't know and um, that happened a couple of times and then I did I came out to a colleague at the time who was an NQT with me and we'd actually trained together because I was so upset by it. Um, mm. And then I just went home, thought about it, and then I went and spoke to my head teacher at the time. And that head teacher has had such an impact. I don't. I think if it hadn't been for that head teacher, uh, Mrs. Lobley, who I don't know, she'll probably listen to this oh, at some point. Yeah. Oh, I hope she does. She's great. <laughs> her name is Jan Lobley, but we used to call her J-Lo. I just, I just oh, the... I love that. <laughs> she was the best. But I, um, I, I remember being so upset and going away and thinking about it. And in the end, I was just like, I've got, to, I've got to tell the person at the top. So I just went and I spoke to her. And I remember just crying. And she was so fantastic. She just said to me, if anyone says anything to you, or if anyone acts inappropriately to you, tell me straight away and there'll be... Like it will be a serious, it would be taken seriously. There'll be repercussions for that person. And from that moment on, I just knew that if I was supported from the top, wow. it, it didn't matter. So then from that, I was at that school for five years. And by the time that I'd left that school, I'd, like all of the staff knew um, my identity. The children knew, the parents knew. Um, wow. And then just going forward, it has just not been something that I've hidden. Um, so it's not that I necessarily 
uh, made it a thing to come out to children or the, to the parents. It would just naturally come up in conversations. I remember once, uh, it was the first time I was teaching year six, and one of the boys just looked at me and said, Sarah, have you got a girlfriend? And I said, no, no, no. And then he looked at me, like I could tell he was thinking, he went, boyfriend? <laughs> and I, just, wow. I thought that was brilliant. And what I did was, you say to that question? I was just really honest. I said, no. Not right now, but I have had a boyfriend um, previously, but not right now. I have, I'm not with anyone at the minute. And it was, just, and it always just kind of came up naturally like that. Or it would be if children, being children, would call each other gay as a slur in the playground. And then I could have that conversation with them about how that was inappropriate and it could offend mm. someone. And I could, I, I, I think me saying to them, you know, I am gay, that is offensive to me. That would really upset me if I heard you saying that. I think that really hits home for children. They they love their teacher. They don't want to upset their teacher. Or at least that's mm-hmm. the experience I've had with my classes. And so, yeah, it's, I, th- I think it's had a great effect. So, yeah, I went to my second school. I just went there as an out teacher, same thing. If it came mm-hmm. up in conversation, it came up. Um, yeah, I've never really Which is how it should, it should be, you know? You've just been able to be your authentic self, isn't it? And I just... I mean, just I think that what what a powerful moment I think for any listeners to hear that you took charge. You know, you you were so upset and feeling so vulnerable that the fact you went to speak to your head teacher about it and that really helped you, you know, be able to take charge of the situation. Mm. You know, for anyone listening, you know that the leadership are there to support you. And yeah, just, totally. You know, the fact the fact you went and had that conversation because that must have really taken some guts to go and talk to the person at the top like you say but yeah but I think I I just got to the point where I was like look if I'm not going to be supported at the top then this isn't a school that I want to work in it's not people that I want to be around I'm on this journey now where I'm finally coming to terms of who I am and I need people around me who are going to support that and be and want to be a part of that um (laughs) and yeah but I I do I credit Jan with so much because she was just brilliant and I don't I don't think if I'd have had that conversation with her the journey would have necessarily been the same but (laughs) I just hope that every leader or every member of staff really has that same attitude because that's the way it should be it shouldn't be it you know it doesn't affect who you are as a practitioner or your ability to do the job or who you are as a person at all exactly Um, and I think you know when you spoke then about that year six um people asking you did you have a boyfriend and when you spoke earlier in the show about you growing up and you didn't feel you could relate to you know you didn't see any gay couples in in the books you're reading in the in the relationships around you like how meaningful that would be for you know those young people who you might go on to then be thinking about their own sexuality and to Mm. have seen you normalize it as it should be I think that's just so powerful isn't it yeah absolutely and I in my second school the one that I, I left in January during the pandemic when um the whole Black Lives Matter movement happened, it really got me thinking about, because I was English lead at this point, it really got me thinking about the books that we had in school. Mm-hmm. So at that time, I focused, I spoke to my head teacher, and I, I really made sure that I went through our library catalogue, and I got low inclusive books for different um, ethnic backgrounds and races and all that kind of thing, to make sure that all of our pupils were um, could find themselves in a book or in a character or in a story. And then it got me thinking, well, actually, I should probably do this for LGBTQ as well because it, I'd never considered it really beforehand um and so then I spent money just making sure that we had age-appropriate books with LGBT themes and stories right the way up from nursery to year six to make sure that, that we were represented um within stories and I think that had a big impact on on the kind of the diversity of literature that we had across that school I hope so anyway that was that's the, fantastic um, that's fantastic well, Dean as a previous primary school teacher that 
books are the perfect way for us to find things we relate to. Like, it's amazing now the books you can see. I was reading a book uh, with my children um, last night about a, a child with an amputated leg. And it's like, wow, I can't imagine I've seen, you know, the books that we see in literature today, you know, 10 years ago. So that is my four-year-old listening in. Um, it's just, it just really shows the power of books. And I think, you know, that's perfect. You were English lead at that time. And it I know, yeah, I know. And then it kind of led on from that. So that was 2020. And then that September, when we just started going back after the pandemic, I, I spoke to my head teacher and then I was able to share why I'd brought those books in, do a little bit of training on LGBTQ inclusivity, tell them about my experiences, talk about Section 28. And I just think it made the whole school culture so much more inclusive. And I'm still in contact with that head teacher. I still spend time in that school and she's still looking at things that she can do to be more inclusive. So she talks to me about application forms and having the right pronouns when she hires new staff and making sure that she talks to new staff in a way that they feel respected. And I, I love that I still kind of can be that person to go to for advice. That is amazing. And yeah. I mean, and, and now, you know, you're in a perfect situation as a senior lecturer practitioner, mm. helping train the next generation of teachers, because you can continue to pass on that, you know, that knowledge, can't you? And and sharing those great books you found and how we can have these inclusive conversations. So yeah, we're totally. very, very glad to see you're <laughs> working in teacher training now, Dean. <laughs> Gosh, well, we've, uh, we've, thank you so much for sharing everything so far. Let's jump for the news. So Dean, go grab a drink, uh, give Cody a, li a little stroke. <laughs> Uh, we'll see you back in about six minutes. <laughs> Lovely. Thanks, Poppy. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. A wide range of media outlets have covered the ongoing issue of reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete or rack and its use in buildings, including schools, leading to concerns around safety. The BBC reports that buildings at 52 schools in England were at risk of sudden collapse due to dangerous concrete. While safety measures have since been put in place at these schools, because the situation was deemed critical, more than 100 others have also now been told to close areas with the concrete. These buildings were previously thought to be at less risk. The new guidance follows the collapse of a beam that it was thought to be safe. Head teachers are now making alternative plans just days before the start of the new academic year. Some pupils have been told they will be learning remotely, whilst others are being housed in temporary classrooms or even at other schools. The total number of confirmed schools affected in England is 156. The news has since triggered concerns in all three of the home nations. The Scottish Government said it was trying to establish how many schools contain RAC, whilst in Wales investigations continue, although there have been no reports at present. The Northern Ireland DV said schools were being checked as a matter of urgency. Ministers in England have been facing media and having struggled to keep up with a range of questions being asked, including how fixing the issues caused by RAC were paid for. Opposition MPs have pointed out that schools themselves already have issues with funding and that local authorities have seen cuts in recent years, so finances may not be there at a local level. The DfE has also faced criticism for not publishing a list of schools affected, although it defended its actions, saying parents should hear direct from the school itself, at least at first. 
A school in Southend, which caters for pupils with physical and learning difficulties, has contacted the BBC to outline the significant challenges it is facing as the closure of its main building means staff and pupils cannot access essential special equipment. Whatever the outcome, it is certain that, for some pupils, this is the start of yet another unusual school year. Away from issues with buildings, Schools Week reports on plans to ensure all schools in England hold electronic registers which the Education Secretary will have direct access to. However, proposals to introduce thresholds at which penalty notices must be considered for unauthorised absences are paused. They were part of the currently shelved New Schools Bill. New rules are not expected to come into force until 2024, but it has been made clear that ministers see attendance as an area which must improve. More than half of parents who responded to the consultation on the plans for e-registers disagreed due to the possible punitive use of the data collected. Officials said it would be used to enable better early intervention. 92% of local authority workers and 85% of school staff who responded support the plan. The DfE will move forward with changes to simplify recording of attendance or absence. In total, 22.3% of pupils miss more than one in 10 sessions in the 2022-2023 academic year. This is compared to 22.5% in the year 21-22, despite significant government intervention. Prior to the pandemic, these rates sat between 10 and 13%. The TES reports that a group of watchdogs, including Ofsted, are jointly to carry out targeted inspections in schools where there is a risk of pupils being exposed to serious violence or exploitation. The inspections will happen in six unnamed local authorities and examine how police, social services and health services tackle serious youth violence. The focus will be on multi-agency interventions and could include interventions in schools, parks, shopping centres or specific streets where young people may be at risk. The team will include representatives from Ofsted, the Care Quality Commission, HMI of Constabulary, HMI of Probation Services, and each team will be led by an Ofsted Health and Social Care Inspector. Where a school is involved, they will be asked to show they have effective systems to identify children at risk of or subject to serious youth violence and children who are missing from school. The inspections will end in May next year. Full details of the report can be found on TES online. Finally, The Guardian reports that Lego is to begin selling bricks coded with Braille to help blind and partially sighted children learn to read the touch-based alphabet. The Danish makers of the bricks have made specialist versions tested and developed by blind organisations across the globe. The bricks have been sent to a selection of schools free of charge since 2020, but now they will be available more widely. LEGO hopes the initiative will help parents, siblings and others share in learning Braille and to encourage play interactions between sighted children and visually impaired friends. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Well, everyone, welcome back. Oh, my goodness, Lego Braille Bricks. I had not heard of this before. Always love hearing our news here on Teachers Talk Radio. And actually, um, for those of you that I'm connected with on X, formerly known as Twitter, I actually posted a photo I saw this week of Braille cards on sale. So really great to see um, 
Lego is such a big uh, thing helping to celebrate inclusivity as well. And perfect theme because we're here with our very special guest, Senior Lecturer Practitioner in Primary Education, Dean Barber. And we're talking about inclusivity and specifically talking about being an LGBTQ plus practitioner. So welcome back, Dean. Hello. Are you feeling refreshed after a break? I am. I am. I'm so intrigued by those Lego books. (laughs) I know. See, you learn, you learn while you chat with us here on Teachers Radio. Totally, yeah. <laughs> um, so before the break, Dean was uh, very kindly talking about his own journey, um, how he came out to staff, came out to children, and we were really reflecting how valuable this is for children to see someone relatable in the workplace and in their lives. So, Dean, let's jump straight in with the next question, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I know before the break, Dean, you were talking about Section 28 and how this Mm -hmm. meant that, um, you know, teachers were not talking about gay couples in school. What do you think, even now, now that that's Section 28, I think you said 2003, um, it was revoked here in the UK, uh, in England. What do you think are potential worries or anxieties maybe that heterosexual practitioners um, might have or... Uh, you know, why Why do you think now we still might see teachers a little bit nervous about talking about um, LGBTQ plus issues in the classroom? Or, or do you think there are no worries and anxieties? What do you think? Um, no, I definitely think there are, there are worries and anxieties. I mean, I've had trainee teachers or ECTs come up to me and say, I can't believe that you're out so publicly at school and to the children. Like, how did you do it? I don't think I ever could. So there is still... Um, members of the community who remain closeted um, at school, which is absolutely fine. That's their prerogative. Um, they don't owe the parents or you know children or staff anything um, to come out if they don't want to. But I do think if there were less concerns or worries about the backlash or potential you know things that could come back from that, then more people might come out. Mm-hmm. I think as well for me, even though I'd come out, there were still worries that I would still have um things like uh things that heterosexual people probably don't even think about like a parents evening for example when you come face to face with a parent you don't know if they have any kind of homophobia how they're going to feel um about you as their child's teacher um things like i used to get really worried on when the children would find out who their new teacher was and they'd go home with a letter that would tell their parents who their new teacher was i'd always be thinking what if the head teacher gets a call to say that they don't want their child being taught by a gay man um and i don't think you know heterosexual people would ever think about things like that um really wow um i mean that just like breaks my heart to think that you were worrying about that yeah, I think I just... You had to worry about that. I know. But I think members, a lot of members of the community just have these concerns and worries everywhere. You know, LGBTQ hate crime is on the rise at the minute. It's heartbreaking, really, when you look at the news. And a lot of it does go uncovered by the mainstream media. But there are just so many attacks happening at the minute. It's definitely on the rise when you look at the, the hate crimes. And you, we feel like we have to protect ourselves everywhere. Um, you know, whether that's the workplace or out and about in our social lives, it's it can be so, it's worrying and it's dangerous and we want wow. to make sure that we're safe and protected. Um, that's why it is so important in schools to have someone like 
um, a supportive head teacher who won't take any backlash from parents, won't take any kind of comments from other members of staff and has a zero tolerance policy on that, as they should. Exactly, as they should. I mean, that you know, that's just so hard to hear that, as you say, hate crimes on the rise, because, you know, for me, as a heterosexual person, like... I feel like we're doing the best we can to try and, you know, make everyone feel like it doesn't, it shouldn't matter what your gender is, what your sexuality is. So for, to think, I mean, it just sounds exhausting for you, to have, you know, this worry on a daily basis. It, it just sounds yeah. exhausting. <laughs> I guess and, it can be. I think you just grow used to it. It's just my norm. It is, it's, it, from, as I said, everything that I'm talking about is my experience. But it, it, it does just become the norm. And it's this thing of you constantly have to come out and why should you have to so even though I say that I don't you know everywhere I go I don't announce it to everyone you do still find yourself in situations like even starting at the university obviously I'll just it will just come up in conversations naturally but you still don't know how people are going to react really um if people do have um homophobia or hidden homophobia obviously people would if they are homophobic would have to hide it if they want to keep their jobs um but you just you don't know how people are feeling especially with hate crime on the rise you it's just scary not knowing really how supportive everybody is you would hope that everyone's supportive but you just never really know yeah of course and um i wonder you mentioned that you know you're worried when the pupils used to have their handover letter go out with your name on have you ever actually had any kind of homophobic parents who've, who've confronted you or not to my knowledge and whether i've been protected from that by senior leaders they they can tell you but i haven't ever okay. luckily had that happen to me um, but I know plenty of people have had that. Um, and I think as well in secondary school more so, they some teachers get it from the pupils as well. Um, some of the, you know, teenagers growing up will ha- make homophobic comments to the teachers if they don't like being disciplined or, you know, told, given a rule or an expectation. I, I think it is just these slurs come out. Um, and I, but I do think that's more so in secondary school when the children are a bit older. Wow, my goodness. Thank you for sharing that with us, Dean. I think it's just really eye-opening, you know, for people like me, where we haven't had to worry about that prejudice. It's just really valuable you, you know, bring it back on our radars, I think, as educators. And and again, just reminding us why it's so important that we support our pupils, you know, in, in having that inclusive background. So, so hopefully when, you know, when they're your age, they, you know, they won't face that same prejudice in their own environments. Mm, totally. Yeah, I hope so. I think as well, you know, teaching the children, being open with the children is so important. Like I didn't have that role model as a child. And I hope that all of the children who I've taught, whether they turn out to be a member of the community or not, remember me as hopefully having a positive impact on them. And knowing that I was gay, and if someone is homophobic as they become young adults or whatever, they stand up for those for what's right and and you know and stand up against what's wrong. I just hope that I've had that impact, even on a small scale, just to the children that I've taught. That's the hope, anyway. Oh, definitely, and I'm sh- I'm sure you have, Dean. And the fact you know even here on Teachers Talk Radio, like we say, just having this conversation is, is so so valuable. So thank you. Um, right, I've just got three questions left for you. Okay. <laughs> um, the next one, I, w- I want to talk to you really how you may be and, and whether this has ever felt like you in, in your staff um, communities, but have, have you ever felt like you've been almost the token 
LGBTQ plus practitioner and how you've maybe overcome that notion when you're trying to encourage that inclusive curriculum in your schools? Yeah, I think I've always been, I've never been the only member of the community within the staffing ever, but I do think I've always been the one who has been most forthcoming with trying to promote that inclusivity and doing what I can to make sure that it's embedded in the curriculum and things like that. Um, and I did feel, to in my final year at the school that I just left, I did feel like I was, I didn't want it to ever come across like I was just pushing an agenda, which, you know, is it sounds silly to say, but it should just be the LGBTQ people or experiences are embedded within the curriculum. But I felt like I was the one constantly sending the emails to say, remember, when you're planning, try and include some LGBTQ people in whatever topic it is that you're teaching. Or when it came up to Pride Month, I was the one sending the reminder of trying to do things to to celebrate pride with the children and talk about what pride is or I would be the one leading the assembly and it did almost feel like it had become just my thing and I think it's really important for schools and for children actually I think it's really important for the children to see that all members of staff have the same message for topics like this definitely I started to try and take a step back and try to encourage other members of staff to lead the assembly or to talk to the children about LGBTQ um, kind of rights and equality and things like that, so that the children could see that actually the straight members of staff had the exact same values as me, even though they weren't a member of the community. And I think that's really important. And I, so I tried to become more the person that staff could go. A lot of staff feel nervous to talk about it, I think. Um, they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to use the wrong terminology. So I think I became more of the sounding board and then tried to encourage others to, to spread the message. That's excellent. Yeah, thank you, Dean. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really valuable point. If, if you are the only person spreading that message, it kind of doesn't quite have the what the message is about, is it? Which is that we should all be on the same page. So... Yeah, and I never had staff, staff were always happy to, you know, lead uh, lessons on the equality or to, you know, promote it within the curriculum, things like that. Mm -hmm. But so there was never any backlash like that. But I just felt that they, it would be more beneficial if people were more forthcoming in and standing there at the front and delivering it rather than it just being me every time there was some kind of LGBTQ assembly or things like that rather than just so I just so the children didn't just associate me with that message so they saw that it was a message from the whole school community definitely I can hear what you're saying that's so for anyone listening maybe reflect in your school who's delivering our messages and yeah really good point Dean make sure that you know it's not the one person always delivering that same message that's that's really vital exactly well I think if we think about Black History Month you wouldn't just always have a black teacher delivering that message, you would make sure that it w- could be delivered from any, any member of staff because we all value um, those values. So it, it should just be the same with LGBTQ as well. Exactly, exactly. Thank you, Dean. That's a really thoughtful point. Um, the next thing I just wanted to pick up on really, we're getting towards the end of the show, but I know we started the show today and, and you were helping educators about Section 28 um, and how that had an impact, you know, on you growing up. And I just wondered, really, do you think, and you touched on this a little bit, but do you mm-hmm. think there is, there's an ongoing impact of Section 28 on staff? Like, are you, 
I know you've only left school, you know, January last year. So were you were you still seeing an impact as recently as then in schools or or do you think now we have, you know, now that that's that's um, been revoked, that we have moved on from that? I think that we have come a certain way on the journey and I think we're getting there. But I think there's a lot more to be done. Things that I've already discussed, really, like having those um, key figures represented in the curriculum. For example, World War Two has been taught over and over again, particularly in Upper Key Stage 2, but how often has Alan Turing been mentioned during those conversations? And he was so crucial in us winning the war. And mm-hmm. he's, he's probably just been omitted from those lessons because of when it was taught during Section 28 and during that period. And I think it's just about being more conscious about, it's not about doing a standalone lesson on LGBTQ rights and equality. It's about embedding it within the school culture and the school ethos and the school curriculum. So whenever you're teaching a topic, just making that conscious effort to make sure that the people that you're discussing and the topics that you're discussing show some level of inclusivity, whether that is LGBTQ plus figures from the past or current figures, whether it is uh, people from a diverse range of backgrounds and races and ethnicity or people of colour. I think it's just about showing that inclusivity that these people exist and have had an impact. And it's important for educators and the education of children to recognise that. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess we're on, on the right path, but there's always backlash, even when we think about the um, sex and relationships education that was brought in and the fact that teachers then had to teach that LGBTQ people used to exist. There were so many protests from parents and I think the media spun it in a certain way to spread mm-hmm. a certain narrative that was so inaccurate it was never going to be about talking about sexual relationships between LGBTQ plus people. It was only about making sure that children knew that different families exist. Wow. And that's so important. And that, it's, so not, important. it's not just about LGBTQ people. It's, yes, t- showing children that families like us exist, but also single parent families or families with adoptive children and adoptive parents just making sure that children know that all different families exist not Mm -hmm. just the typical nuclear family that we all grew up thinking was like the the perfect family or the only family to exist it's just not realistic and so it's just I think it's just difficult um to try and make sure that that message spread in in the right way and communicated in the right Mm -hmm. way but I do think is di- like a lot of things with education. It's different with it's difficult with the narratives that the media often often portray. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the good old media and their clickbait. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I I love that point that you picked up. You know, if, even if you're teaching something like the World War, how you can maybe find those figures. I wonder, Dean. I'm going to throw out just another question that I wasn't planning to ask you, but you you mentioned also like LGBTQ plus assembly. Have yeah. you got any? like favourite activities or just for for those listening who need a bit of inspiration that you could maybe share with us? Uh, Like, I don't know, favourite lesson, favourite assembly, any any of those you can just sprinkle in for us this morning, please. Yeah, do you know what I used to love to do was when it was Pride Month, we would talk about the importance of Pride for the community, but then it wasn't about the children necessarily celebrating Pride Month for members of the community. It was about them celebrating for themselves. So we'd introduce the history of Pride for the community 
and then carry out activities with the children for them to just be proud of who they are so that they can stand up and have the confidence that maybe I didn't have when I was, you know, in the closet or growing up gay within the school system. So they might design their own pride flag and put things on there that they're proud of themselves for, whether it's a gymnastics trophy or scoring a hat trick at the weekend or whatever they're proud of. And then we'd all go out and we'd have our own school pride march. And it wasn't about, wow, yeah, that sounds like fun. It was so much fun. And we'd have like music coming from the speakers and we'd walk around the playground just waving their flags that they'd made. So they understand what the concept of pride is really. And it's about just being proud of who you are and, you know, not not letting other people kind of take that shine away. And And obviously we taught them about the history of pride and why that's important for the community and historically why it was so important to kind of overcome the oppression. Um, but at a child's level, for them to understand what pride is, they need to recognise it within themselves. And ultimately, I think if they can recognise what they're proud of themselves for, they're going to grow up to be confident, strong people, hopefully, who can just stand tall and, and stand up for what they believe in and what they feel makes them who they are. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Dean. That's brilliant. Um, we ju- we just come down to the last few minutes. I wonder, for, for anyone listening who's still working in the primary school, have you got any like words of advice how they can maybe make, continue to make their classroom more inclusive? I think it's just trying to be aware and not not forgetting that LGBTQ people exist. And maybe because historically those figures like Alan Turing have been kind of written out of history, maybe just spending the time to do that research when you're planning a lesson or a topic to find those people who can be uh, included within your planning um, and just making it visible, having those inclusive Uh, books within your classroom or within your reading corner so that the children can pick them up and read them not necessarily explicitly saying this is the lgbtq section just having them in the reading corner so a child might just pick it up and start reading it making sure that when you're doing some shared reading you're including literature from a range of authors and range of characters um yeah just trying to make it as an inclusive classroom as possible so that everyone feels welcome and safe cared for oh that's so lovely and that, that's what we want for all of our children isn't it to feel welcomed totally. and, and loved and, and cared for are you are you feeling like you've been embraced at high, in higher education dean absolutely i love our team i do think that the team at aru are just brilliant our, our new school of education i was at the away day on wednesday and everyone is just so friendly and lovely and caring and everyone that i've spoken to that i've needed support from has just been so brilliant um I, I love it. I'm so glad that I made the transition. Aww, I, I love was so that. scared. I was so scared to what leave the comfort <laughs> of, of primary school. And well, imagine going from teaching, like I was teaching year three when I left. So imagine going from teaching seven-year-olds to like 18-year-olds. It was so <laughs> scary, but I'm so glad. Like, everyone's been brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good to hear and I saw a very cute thing on your uh, on your ex feed actually Dean that you got a little letter from um from a member of staff a mysterious letter that was praising you so I thought I that was really sweet I know it was so nice it's so nice it's so funny isn't it all those little things that we know make children feel good about themselves it still just works for adults like getting an anonymous exactly. anonymous note to say like I'm proud of you you've settled in really well you're so positive it's so lovely 
I love that. Yeah, just like you said, you know, we want our children to be cared for. That's what we want as well, isn't it, as adults? Like that inner child inside of us is still just craving that, you know, acceptance and, yeah, and community. Totally. That's what we all want. Love that. So anyone else listening, there's another tip on top of everything Dean's already shared with you. Why not try some anonymous notes in the star frame, put some post-it notes in a pencil and, and a jar and ask people to put anonymous uh, thank you notes or, or kind comments about your staff and share them in your next staff meeting. What a lovely idea. But uh, yeah, Dean, we're very happy that you've joined the team and thank you so much for your time today. Uh, just one last question before we go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um it's been great you coming on and i'm sure that there will be teachers or other people who maybe are lgbtq plus themselves that would love to continue the conversations with you about how we support this in education so are you kind of on any socials that you're happy to tell our listeners about if they want to come follow you or or join you yes i'm on x i still can't get used to calling <laughs> it, it feels weird, it feels so weird. Um, <laughs> my handle is mr d barb Short Perfect. for Barbara. <laughs> I'll, put, I'll put that in the, I'm just typing that into the studio chat. Mr. D. Barb, fabulous. Uh, so yeah, do do come along and join Dean and, uh, you know, ask him any questions about supporting LGBTQ plus in the classroom if you'd like to. Uh, Dean, have you got any uh, questions or any final comments you'd like to make for our listeners here today? I don't think so. Just thank you so much for the opportunity to come on and just voice something that is so important to me and so important to the community and just sharing that message yeah thank you very much Poppy. oh wonderful thank you and uh, we will be showing this as a podcast episode to make sure we get a wide reach for our audience so thank you dean barber it's been an absolute pleasure and i must say your doggy has been very well behaved unlike mine i know he's gone to sleep i'm so shocked oh, and mate oh well he deserves maybe an, an extra treat later <laughs> yeah, i'll give him one on your behalf when he wakes up <laughs> yeah thank you I'll, I'll send you my dog's treats in an envelope because she does not deserve them today <laughs> Sorry for anyone wondering what that wolf was in the background. That was my uh, German Shepherd. But thank you, Dean. I wish you a really lovely weekend. Have you got any nice plans? Do you know what? I don't know. My parents are moving my family home today, so that's a bit emotional. So oh. I'll probably just be helping them do a bit of moving and then maybe a barbecue if the, if the weather stays really hot. Well, well, tomorrow's meant to be lovely. So yeah. hopefully, yeah, get, get some something sizzling on the barbecue. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh, thank you, Dean. Well, take care. Big thank you from me and all our listeners here on Teachers Talk Radio. And Thanks enjoy the Take thank care. You Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.